Well, good morning. <clears throat> if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Hebrews 11. Since the, uh, that's where the warm-up band left us. Hebrews chapter 11. Um, this is kind of the uh, backdrop or the banner hanging over our study presently. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 7, but let's begin here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Just that first statement, and then I want to pray. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, um, God, as I have been doing for a number of years, I stand in this pulpit this morning Nervous. Not about being in front of these people that I love and are my family, but nervous, God, that the task before me can be overwhelming. So, my Father, I pray that you would keep me out of the way. that your precious Holy Spirit would teach your people from your word and I could simply be an instrument that helps a bit and that Jesus Christ receives all glory and honor and praise for he is totally, absolutely worthy of it all. But Father, I do want to thank you afresh that you would allow a lost man, to be redeemed and to bear the word of God. So thank you, Father, for my, my gift and my call. And I pray, Father, that as we do walk through this chapter of your precious word, you'd stir the hearts of the people of God. Help us not to sit comfortably, but to be stirred and uneasy with the calling on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There will come a time, if there hasn't already come a time, where you will feel, maybe slight, maybe great, but to some level you will feel a level of embarrassment to take a stand for Jesus Christ in the midst of this world. There will be a time, or perhaps you've experienced a time, where it will feel like every eye is on you, and what you say next 
is either dishonoring to the Lord or honoring to the Lord. And your heart's pounding fast. Palms are sweaty. You're nervous because you know if I say what I know to be true, this is going down bad and I will take a huge hit, whether physically in some parts of our world or socially in our country. If I take a stand for Jesus and I clearly obey him and I say what I know to be true and I walk in it, my God will be pleased and glorified Everybody around me is going to think I'm an idiot. Have you been there? Don't answer the question. Just think about it with me. Have you been there where somebody has asked you a question and you know, man, if I, if I say what I know to be true, this person is going to rail me something fierce and the word's going to get out and then everybody's going to know I'm a Christian. And beloved, in that moment being very realistic with my own heart, and perhaps you with yours, you're scared. Because you'll be rejected. Can I remind you, you already are. Maybe nobody said it, but you're already rejected if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. When people tell you that you are low and they malign you for your faith in Jesus, what they're saying is actually true. You deserve hell as much as I do. And so when they declare that you are a fool, amen and amen and praise God for rescuing fools. It's amazing to me that in that moment you will be pleasing to God and absolutely shamed and mocked by those around you. Or, absolutely shamed before God while you get pats on the back from dead, lost sinners. The the, the interesting part is that this time doesn't usually come about when we feel the strongest, when we've been deep in prayer and heavy in studying the Word and around other believers and feeling like, Bring it on. I'm ready to go. Whatever the world's going to throw. No, it happens when you were least expecting it. You had no idea. And somebody that you love happens to come right at you for your faith. And you have to answer. And the worst, not the worst part, the tricky part of this is the deeper you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and follow his word, the more opportunities arise of this very same occurrence. Beloved, please, before I step into this text, I want you to hear this from God's word. You're already rejected from the world. You are the called out ones. God has called you out of the world. He's declared you to be his. You are his. And so whether this world wants to recognize that and support it or belittle you and trash you for it, beloved, the truth is the truth. So either you lie or you clearly say what you know to be true. Now, in, our, in my life thus far, what that has looked like is maybe a few awkward friendships or ends of friendships. A few birthday parties I wasn't invited to, some slander from a family member, some things said here, there, and whatever. 
but nothing that sharp. Well, Noah, for a hundred years, has been working his tail off while preaching with not a single convert and no doubt, I have no doubt in my mind, the slander of his name. And he has walked in obedience, the struggle of obedience by faith in God's word. Beloved, the struggle of obedience by faith in God's word. We're lying to ourselves if we say, all I got to do is study the word and keep pursuing him and everything will be just fine. And I won't feel pain. No, you'll feel pain. But there's sweetness in that pain. Almighty God will protect you and guard you in the midst of the pain. Look down at your Bibles for a second. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 17, Genesis 6, 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Now drop down to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And so it's interesting, between that verse and verse 1 of chapter 7, you have this massive time. And it's interesting because in my Bible, it's all white. Probably the same in yours too. The amount of time of the building of the ark, the, the consistent declaring of the word, the, the rampant sin in his life, the, the, his family wondering, and, and, but still walking with him in this. Day after day, night after night. It's interesting, I remember my dad putting an addition on our house. House is built in 1901, just an old house and needed to be extended a little bit. My dad worked on that addition. He'd go to work during the week, then he'd come home and on the weekends we all knew, what are we doing this weekend? The addition. Um, and fishing. Those two had to go hand in hand. But the addition... And I remember it just being a part of our family's life. The addition just has to be done. It's got to get done. Nobody else is going to do it. And so hold that, uh, hold the, uh, what's that called, Dennis? The, uh, the board, whiteboard, you go up on the wall. Um, drywall. Hold the drywall with your head while I put the screws in. I wish I was shorter at the time. But um, you know, there's just this ever-present, consistent goal of getting that done. That's how I picture here with, with Noah. He he gets up, joints are a little sore, but we've got work to do. We've got to cut down some more trees, get the timber ready, and start building this ark and continue faithfully in building this ark. Now, how different would it be if the whole time we're putting an addition on a house, the neighbors come over and go, what are you doing? How ridiculous. And then on top of that, well, actually we're building the addition because wrath is coming. Wrath? What wrath? Well, it's going to be a flood. Here? You're insane, Noah. Yeah, but it's going to happen in a long period of time. Still insane, Noah. What do you think Noah thought when he woke up uh, on, on year 50? Year 60? 
over and over and over, continue, 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 as he gets all that nasty pitch. What I picture is ABS glue, and, he, and he's putting this stuff all over this, this massive ship to prepare for this coming wrath. This is going to be huge, and nobody buys it. The struggle of obedience by faith in God's word. Beloved, please hear this because I believe this to be a tenet that we have to have clear in our mind. The the intimacy you have with God will carry you through the slander of your name from this world. When you walk close with him, the voices of the world fade and the voice of God rings loud And it rings clear. The promises of God's word, I shared this with you last week from Pastor Kent Hughes, the promise of God's word is the sustenance of the Christian. And so we have rampant sin, coming judgment, Noah's call, years and years of faithful obedience in building the ship, and there's seven days left. Look down at verse 1 of chapter 7. And just so you know, my desire, know where I'm going. I'm going to preach chapter 7, because it's all, it's so tightly connected, I don't want to bust it up. So we'll go through kind of quick today, I hope. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. We covered this a few weeks ago. Righteous by faith, not righteous by works. Noah's not declared righteous because he's doing good stuff. He's declared righteous because of his faith. Hebrews 6, 11, 6, and 7. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. Fascinating thing this morning. I don't know why I keep doing this, but it's just, it's something that's keeping the back back of my brain. I googled Noah's flood again. And there was an article written by somebody. And in that article, it began by, I've always seemed to question the account of Noah and the flood. And now that I know that it's not historically true, it's helped me study even further into the seven days of creation. And what I keep thinking of is Satan's voice, you will be like God, and the temptation to deny his word. But even more than that, here's the thought that came to my mind after reading this part of this article. I say part because I couldn't stand any more of it, but in reading part of this article, my thought was, people still aren't listening to Noah. The flood came. It all happened. And by the way, I think there's some 
incredible scientific studies and evidence going on right now in our world that you have to be pretty strong in your faith as an atheist to go against that. But even after that took place, there's a denial and there's a absolute pushing away of the truth of the Word of God. Why would we be surprised at that? When over 500 people saw a man crucified and then alive three days later and still deny it. So guys, we have the last seven days of obedience. Now, I mean that in the sense of before they enter the ark. It's not that they disobey when they get on the ark. And so here's Noah, here's his family, and God says, I want you to get seven pairs of the clean animals and of the unclean animals. Some folks really struggle with this. I don't struggle with it as much um, just as I read through it because some folks say, but clean animals and unclean animals haven't, be, haven't been delineated yet in the law. Well, apparently for Noah, perhaps special revelation from Almighty God, he revealed to him what were clean and what were unclean. Uh, I have no doubt that there's definitely much conversation between God and Noah that we aren't told about. Uh, I think in heaven, maybe he'll let us in on some of that. It'd be wonderful to hear. But regardless, what are the difference between the clean and unclean animals? Well, as we'll see later, once he comes off the, the great ark, the ship, he's going to offer sacrifices before the Lord. Now, we've already seen sacrifices taking place between Cain and Abel, and no doubt this has still been a practice. So within that time, there were clean and unclean animals, and they understood what it was. And so Lord, the Lord commands him to take male and female with the intention of repopulating the earth. So you have Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives, and male and female animals all getting up on this ark. Now, do your best to be an unsaved thinking human being who lives next door to this Noah guy. Now, I'll admit, if I'm just an unsaved person and all there is in this world is this world... And I see this 600-year-old man build this ark, cover it with pitch, his whole family's going in, and I see this massive petting zoo moving in. What would you think? All of us, I think, to some level would say, no, I, I, I don't think anything's going to happen. God said so. I know you believe that, Noah. But I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen. Now, that's being a kind neighbor. The mean neighbors are trashing the man, belittling the man, no doubt, and his family, because everybody likes to point at the fool. And yet, beloved, have you ever thought what is going on in Noah's heart? I've thought about this a lot in the last few weeks. Let's do it this way. What if I said, come into this building on Sunday, July 26th at 9.30, and when you enter this building, there's going to be a massive tsunami in Pacific City. But God has told me with great clarity, anyone meeting in this building will be carried through. And every single neighbor and unsaved friend you have present here are dead tomorrow. 
How would that strike your heart? After preaching and, and trying to share the gospel with your neighbors and, and trying to penetrate into the lives of people, and they had nothing to hear about anything you had to say, and God says, I'm going to destroy everybody. As you step into that ark, do you click your heels? You jump for joy? I don't think so. I can't imagine the heaviness on this man's heart as he and his family step into that ark knowing they're all gone. But God commanded him, go into the ark, and I want you to take these animals with you. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now, it's interesting, you guys, that Great detail is given in reference to the timing of all this. We'll see it more in the next chunk we're going to look at. But when it says Noah is 600 years old, and then we're told the, the date, the time in which this took place, I don't know what calendar they were using at the time or how they knew what part of the month it was, how they were gauging time. Obviously, they were gauging time somehow. But what that says with great clarity is that this is not a silly story that has a great idea that teaches a moral. No, no, no. We have a historical event. And by the way, if anybody has a problem with it, this being a historical event, you really need to take it up with Jesus. Because Jesus treats this as a historical event, as do the apostles and the rest of the New Testament. Which, by the way, that's the argument that you will hear from very liberal Christians and from unsaved folks, is that... This is a fairy tale with a good moral. What's the good moral? God destroys everybody. Is that a good moral that the world would love to hear? No. And the more I read it, the more I say, man, the detail that he gives and the tone of the author of this book is saying with great clarity, this is happening. This is taking place you pile on top of that all of the archaeological things that have been dug up and found. I think it's overwhelming, but then you have to believe in God. And that's what everybody puts the brakes on at, apparently. Another thing really quick, I, I need to throw this out there. There are some folks who have sought to make an argument that this was not a worldwide flood, but this was just a regional flood in a particular place. Um, that doesn't make sense. God said there's a rainbow, and I promise I will never do a flood like this again. Well, there's been floods all over the world. But there's never been a worldwide flood. So did God keep his promise or not? He kept his promise. There's other arguments you can make that I'm not going to make this morning, but I believe that this is actually a worldwide flood, not just some little flood, little puddle that took place in one area. Because he says everything that has breath dies. And he doesn't qualify that in any way. So why, why would we? So Noah being 600 years old, verse 6, when the floodwaters came upon the earth and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, they went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Next week I intend on talking about the typology of the ark and how it directs us to Jesus. So I'm not going to touch on that today. As God had commanded Noah... And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. My imagination is that this took place fast. I don't think that he sat there and waited for little drips. And you go, I think it's starting to sprinkle. It was a 
cataclysmic event. Listen to how the Bible describes it, the, the language used here. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, this is verse 11, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open. This was not a sprinkle. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I got to say, when we first moved here nine years ago, Okay, let's go to the next verse. You know where I'm going there. No, I just got to say, um, I had to go return the U-Haul with uh, John Herleman and John Stoopful. And uh, I just remember, I grew up in Spokane. We have snow. We don't have, we don't have crazy rain. And Eastern Oregon, by no stretch, does either. And it was just hammering when we were taking it back. And John said, don't worry, Pastor. It's, it's not like this all the time. It, it rains a lot harder sometimes. <laughs> and he and John laughed. I didn't, I didn't laugh. Uh, the description that's being given here is loud to the heavens, meaning just gushing down. And rain fell 40 days and 40 nights. And they're sitting in the ark. And what I can't get out of my mind, beloved, is Noah. After all this time, God is faithful. His faith officially is sight. He kept his word. All this was not for nothing, but rather the sovereign king of the universe has so kindly and graciously rescued me and my family But simultaneously, the breaking of his heart for everybody is dead in this flood. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature... They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. That big chunk of scripture basically just telling us he walked in complete obedience to what Almighty God called him to do. Okay, Noah, last seven days, up. You have worked so hard, you have walked in faithfulness, and you are the mockery of your community. It is time now to enter into this vessel of mercy. And what a fascinating little statement. Look down at verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. I I do my best with my imagination to picture what's taking place. So, Remember, when you see a picture of the ark, okay, I say a picture. When you see a drawing of the ark, it's usually the boards are pristine and it looks kind of pretty. Have you seen pitch? It's not pretty stuff. And so here's this rough, rough timber built in this massive ship, not designed for speed, but designed for buoyancy and for space. 
and to be able to cut through and then smothered in this nasty pitch with one door. Well, how do you get all those animals through a tiny little door? So you picture this huge door. Noah and everybody and all the animals, they all get up in the ark and somehow, some way, God goes, push, and seals the door. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what it sounded like. I'm not concerned about that. But what is clear, and what I think is being declared in this text, God saved Noah and his family. And they are safe under his protection. Not Noah's protection, but God's protection. Now, drop down with me, if you would, verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. Does not sound regional, sounds like the whole world. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. 150 days of that water prevailing. 40 days, 40 nights of that flood building up. And here's this family in the ark preserving humankind and animal life when God destroys the rest of the world. And please, beloved, don't forget what kicked this whole thing off was the absolute offense to the holiness of God with the sin of man so that the Lord destroyed them all and Noah was carried safe. For time's sake, let me, let me turn to my conclusion and seek to apply this. Here you are, 2020, July 26th, and what is amazing to me, I was telling Roger this this morning before we started the service, you guys know my preaching is not, I don't, I don't plan out a year calendar or a month calendar as far as my sermons. I don't work like that. It's just not how I'm built, not how I'm made. And so I didn't plan for this passage to be on this day in the midst of what's happening in our world right now. I didn't plan that. Almighty God did. But would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3? And this is what is so sweet about the Word of God, is that all I wish to do is draw the application to how Peter applied it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Listen carefully. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. 
In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, now just turn your head to the left and to the right in this world right now, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's the, that's the mocking, that's the slander, looking at you as the fool building an ark, metaphorically speaking. Coming? You know how many Christians have thought he was coming in their day? You know how many books have been written about how he was going to come in their day? And he didn't come. Get it clear, Christian, he's not coming. The world says. Verse 5, For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, So he's going directly from Noah to right now. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Dramatic pause. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved by canned goods, lots of toilet paper, and prep. Now, I say that jokingly. I have no issue with us being prepared. But my point's this. That's not what God seemed to be most concerned about in what he talks in reference to the return of Jesus Christ. What does he bring up? He just said the world's going to melt with fervent heat. And what is most important? Since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the mind-boggling point of this 
sermon this morning, beloved, is that in light of God's plan to return and destroy this world and separate the sheep from the goats, everlasting hell and everlasting joy, with all of that lingering and coming sooner and sooner and sooner and sooner, he then looks you right in the face and says, so what kind of person are you? In the midst of a perverse, demonic, broken generation, how do you stand? What do you look like? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? Has a relationship with your kids? What do your neighbors think of you? Where's, where are your eyes a good portion of the week? Where's your mind when nobody's watching? What's going on in your life? That's where he goes. Unfortunately, it's not where many of us naturally go when we think of the end of the world. But the sovereign of the universe says, in light of all this, what kind of person should you be? And his answer? One who walks in godliness and holiness. In light of massive coming judgment and the wrath of God about to be poured out, Peter asks about your personal character as a believer. Please notice that Noah's work is only commended by God because of his faith and his righteous character. So if you were to die today, something took place today, I got the phone call, Somehow, whether it's a heart attack, a car crash, things happen every day, beloved, where people die. If you died today, what would be said by your spouse? What would be said by your kids? What would be said by your neighbor? Beloved, we are dealing with incredibly vital, important things the return of the sovereign of the universe. And every president, every government official, their mouths are shut, and he reigns supreme. And so I ask, are you progressively growing in a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus? We look at those years of Noah's preparation and we think, man, what a tough time. Yes, but at the same time, what a growing time for him to draw so close to his God. I, I love you guys so much. I think about you so much. <clears throat> and my desire is greater salt and light in my life and in yours. And that happens to be exactly what the Lord's called all of us to. My Father, I pray as 